Well, hey, if you would, make your way back to your seat, but let's remain standing. If you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Luke 11. We're going to remain standing, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them. Uh, if you would turn to page 1033 in these blue hardback Bibles, we're at Luke 11. You can remain standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. Uh, welcome to our church. It's our tradition. We stand out of respect for God's Word. Uh, if you're able to stand. We're looking at Luke 11 this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a, uh, a print Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. You can turn to page 1033. We're looking this morning at the parable of the pushy friend at midnight. We're starting in verse 11, 1, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 13. Uh, friends, welcome to our church. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor here. And this summer, we're going through the parables of Jesus. And this morning, we're into the parable of the friend at midnight. Uh, friends, with that in mind, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is Luke 11, starting in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together? The Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would give each one of us the mind of Christ. Lord, that we would think your thoughts after you. And Father, we pray that we would leave this morning uh, believing more about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would become praying people. And Lord, that we would continue to be a praying church to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, what would have changed? What would have changed? Think about that question for just a second. What would have changed if God had answered every one of your prayers that you prayed last week? Has anybody ever asked you that? What did you pray for last week? Only go back the last seven days of your life. If, uh, you know, we did this sort of, you know, divine experiment, let's say that God had agreed in heaven to grant everything that you asked for in all of your prayers, fully and completely, what would have changed? How would our valley have changed? How would your family have changed? How would our country and world have changed? How would you have changed? 
I mean, really think about that. What have you been praying for? Imagine if God actually answered your prayers. Would anyone's lives have actually been changed by your prayers? I mean, Jesus tells us to pray for those who are nice to us and to pray for those who agree with us politically, right? Isn't that the command? Wait, I don't think that's how it goes. How does it go? Pray for your enemies and for those who persecute you. So if we're supposed to pray for our enemies, how much more are we supposed to pray for our family and our community? But, you know, friends, you know, that's such a powerful question for me because prayer, if, you're, if I'm being honest, doesn't come natural for me. No amens on that one? Yeah, y'all, y'all are a lot better at praying than I am. Uh, prayer does not come easy or natural for me. You know, um, I'm left-handed. Anybody else left-handed in the room? You know, have you ever tried to do something right-handed like use a desk in high school? It doesn't come natural. It's really difficult. Prayer to me is kind of like that. It's like a desk that I just wasn't set up for. And so I've had to learn how to pray. But even more profoundly, I've had to learn to pray. <laughs> Did you notice? Like, look at, look at Luke 11 for just a second. Uh, if you look at Luke 11, starting in verse 1 uh, through 4, we get the Lord's Prayer or a, a, a rendition of the Lord's Prayer. And what I love so much about this opening in Luke 11, verse 1, is what, do the, what does this disciple ask Jesus to do? Look at verse 1. It says, Jesus got done praying. And when he finished praying, his disciple went up to Jesus, and, you know, the guy's not going to interrupt Jesus' prayer. That would be rude. So he waits till Jesus finishes praying. And then he asks Jesus what? He says, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. Now, uh, I, I love that Philip Graham Ryken pointed this out to me. Philip Ryken is the president of Wheaton College uh, in Illinois. Before that, he was uh, a pastor in Philadelphia. And he has a wonderful book on the Lord's Prayer. And he pointed out something that I've never seen anyone else point out, which is in Luke 11, verse 1, the disciple doesn't ask Jesus how to pray. He asks what? Lord, teach me to pray. And if you don't think there's a difference between that, let me give you an analogy, okay? So um, imagine you are a dentist, okay? And I come up to you and I say, hey, you know, Dr. Dentist, um, Dr. Crentist, right? Uh, Would you please teach me to brush my teeth? And he says, okay, here's what you do. You take an electric toothbrush and, you know, you, you go like this and then you move over here and you make sure every second. I said, no, 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 no. I didn't ask you to teach me how to brush my teeth. I've never brushed my teeth. I'm scared to and I don't want to ever do it. <laughs> it that's a different question. I'm not asking how to brush my teeth. I'm saying teach me to brush my teeth to begin with, right? This is a level zero kind of request, right? Have you ever seen Kung Fu Panda, that silly kids movie where a panda learns Kung Fu and the, the, the master asks him, you know, what level is he? And he says, I'm a level zero. And the master says, there's no such thing. There's only level one. But then anyway, you know, <laughs> the point is, is the panda only knows level zero. Uh, for many of us, we would say when it comes to prayer, we probably know how to pray because on some level, you could probably remember the Lord's prayer. And in in part, that's kind of how Jesus answers the question. But notice that the person doesn't just need sort of an outline or a verbatim thing to say. He has an even more profound need to pray itself, to learn to pray. A prayer doesn't come natural. So this whole section from Luke 11, 1 through 13, if you look at that section in your Bible, this whole thing doesn't just teach you how to pray. It also teaches you why to pray. It teaches us to pray itself. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this uh, parable, the parable, I call him the pushy friend at midnight because he's pretty rude. He, this is the parable of the friend at midnight. It's verse 5. It comes right on the heels of the Lord's Prayer. 
And the thing you need to understand about uh, this parable this morning, the parable of the friend at midnight, is that when it says that uh, the friend is going to answer his request, it says it's because of his impudence. You see that there in verse 8? Uh, there's a guy named uh, Klein Snodgrass. <laughs> Could you imagine naming your child that? I mean, Lord have mercy. Klein Snod, Snodgrass, he's a biblical scholar. It's, that sounds like something you would find in a title pool, doesn't it? Uh, we've got an interesting case of Klein Snodgrass this morning. It's a low tide. I really hope he never hears this sermon on YouTube. I'm sorry, Dr. Snodgrass. The reason I mention him is because he researched this word in Greek for, uh, you know, right here it's, it's translated impudence. Uh, it could also be translated persistence, but Dr. Snodgrass argues that in 250 other uses of this word, he looked up every other use in ancient Greek that he could find, and the only actual usage of this word means rude or immodest behavior. So, uh, you know, the translation about persistence isn't quite accurate. It's impudence. Uh, I love the way that the New International Version, the NIV, translates it. It calls it the shameless audacity of this guy. This guy is breaking social protocol by banging on his friend's door at midnight saying, I need some food. This is shameless audacity. So what does this have to do with prayer, and what does this have to teach you and me who, if we're being quite honest, we know how to say the Lord's Prayer, but we just we don't even want to pray to begin with. How do we learn from this passage? Well, does God want us to be rude? <laughs> Is that the point, that we're supposed to be pushy and rude towards God? Well, I don't think so. So let's understand this parable and see how it teaches you and me to pray. Okay, so uh, basically the, the parable goes like this. Jesus says, he's using humor. So this is like the Bible's version of humor, okay? So if you don't laugh, sorry, this is as funny as the Bible gets, okay? So uh, what Jesus says is he says, well, you know, just imagine for a moment uh, that you have a traveler come in the middle of the night to your house. And in the ancient Near Eastern world in Israel, uh, hospitality was one of the highest values for this culture. If somebody knocked on your door, you had to open it and you had to make room for them. And you especially had to do what? Provide dinner for them. And if you were not hospitable, that was one of the worst things you could possibly do. You would, you know, this was a shame-honor culture. It would be totally shaming if you were not able to be hospitable to a person. So you are put into this awkward situation where somebody knocks on your door and they need to spend the night, and you look in your cupboard and nothing's in there. So what do you do to save face? Well, you go to your friend and you bang on their door and you say, Oh my gosh, please open the door. Somebody's at my house at midnight. And how, do, how would any of our friends respond? They would say, leave us alone. <laughs> Stop bothering me. If I have to get up and remove the bar from the door, I'm going to wake up the kids. And uh, every mother in the room knows you don't do what? Mm, you don't wake up a sleeping baby, right? right? We have a couple of sleeping babies at our house, and I am like walking around on eggshells the whole time I'm at home because you don't wake a sleeping baby. And that's exactly what the guy in the story says. He says, leave me alone. Don't bother me. And uh, I love in verse 7, uh, if you notice, you know, if you were that guy and you're like, please give me some food, friend, the guy on the other side of the door, he doesn't respond by calling him friend. <laughs> Did you notice? He says, leave me alone. You know, um, you're not my friend right now. You're waking us up. So there's this awkward, tense scene, right? Who's going to blink? Who's going to give? Well, why, what's the point of this story? Is Jesus trying to tell you and me that we're supposed to be like rudely disrespectful towards God? 
No, the point of this parable, you've got to understand, is this is a classic Jewish argument called a lesser to a greater, right? So another way of thinking about this is how much more? So listen to Jesus' logic. His point is like, look, if you were in a bind and you went to your friend, you could get your friend to give you something just by being rude and annoying and they, don't, and they don't even like you, right? They don't even think of you as a friend right now. Somebody who doesn't even like you will give you what you need if, you're just, if you just ask enough, right? How much more, then, does your heavenly Father, who loves you, who knows what you need before you ask, how much more will that God, who loves you, give you what you need? I mean, if your friend, who doesn't even like you, will give you what you need, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need? You know, friends, this is uh, one of those leaps, I think, in all of our faith journeys. I mean, this is an important leap. And typically, in my experience, teenagers, youth group kids, and adults can't make this leap for a long time. And the leap, this is the leap, the leap is accepting that God loves you. This is one of the most important steps of faith. You know, you know, when I think about faith, I don't think of this like gradual progression of growth. I think of a series of plateaus. You know what a plateau is? I think there's a series of plateaus. And, you know, there, you'll spend several years of your life kind of understanding the basics of Christianity. Like, I get that there's a God or I believe in Jesus. But then something will click in your mind and all of a sudden there's a plateau and you're on this higher level. And one of those plateaus that every person has to get to, eventually, if you're going to know God, is you're going to have to accept and actually believe that God loves you, that the Father loves you. The Father loves you. He wants you to go to Him in prayer. You know, a a great test of your faith is to step back and ask yourself um, right now, as God thinks about you, what is the look on his face? When I asked teenagers that back when I was a youth pastor, you know what they used to tell me? The most common answer was something, you know, around this. They would say, you know, when God thinks about me, uh, you know, I kind of picture my dad's face after I've done something kind of bad, but also kind of funny, but mostly bad, and he's mostly angry, but maybe there's a little bit of a smirk. And he's just kind of annoyed with me and is just kind of putting up with me. I think for a lot of us, we can easily accept that God loves other people. We can believe that God loves our friends and our family, but accepting that God loves us as me, as an individual, that's something that the gospel of grace has to do in you. Uh, That's a plateau that you don't reach on your own. It's something that the Holy Spirit gives you by faith. It's something to ask for. Holy Spirit, help me to accept the love of the Father in Christ Jesus. Right? So, all that to say, Jesus says, uh, you know, we are supposed to pray knowing that kind of love relationship with the Father, that He loves us. Right? And His point is, look, if your friends who don't even actually like you will give you what you need, how much more will God give you everything that you need? So, why then, you know, why then are we supposed to pray this whole passage is about prayer. Okay, so, I mean, if God already knows what I need and He's already going to supply it, why do I pray? Um, you know, I, I guess I would answer that in a couple of ways. Um, I think this is so important to know the why behind why we pray. Now, the first thing to recognize is that our prayer life is a reflection 
of how well we understand our relationship with God. Uh, it, it is a great litmus test to see how well you're getting the gospel, if it really is transforming you. Um, I love this quote uh, from Tim Keller. Uh, he tweeted this out a few years ago, and he said, uh, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water is a what? Is a child. We have that kind of access. So we pray because we have a relationship with God that's like the three-year-old that wakes up the father. And yes, it's the king, but it's also our father. You know, who do you have in your life that you could go to and just be totally dependent on and ask anything? And you know that they wouldn't hold it against you. Usually we would ask our moms or our dads. You know, we could go totally dependent, and we know that they wouldn't hold it against us. That's the kind of access that you and I have to the Father. But it, it takes the gospel of grace, moving us up to that higher plateau of knowing God's love, for us to really be confident in going to prayer like that. So why do you, why do you pray? Why do, I, why do I encourage you to pray? Why is it important that our church remains a praying church? Well, um, William Temple uh, years ago, served as the Archbishop of Canterbury, which means he was the head of the Church of England. And I love his quote about prayer. He said it this way. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Uh, friends, this is why I, uh, I keep a prayer journal. And uh, this is why uh, every now and then when I have time, I go off and I do a prayer retreat over at Lake of the Woods. And I keep all of the prayer requests that you have mailed me. And I pray for you by name, and our church prays for you by name, and I keep a prayer journal. And the reason I do that is so that I can remember what it is that I want to see changed in our church and in your life and in my life and in my family's life, right? So part of the reason we should be thinking about journaling and having something like a prayer journal is so that we can see the things that God is actually up to. It's amazing to go back and look at all the ways we prayed. I mean, last year when we said we were going to do Camp Levi and put on a summer camp for a week that we had never done. We needed tens of thousands of dollars. We needed something like a hundred volunteers. I mean, it was very daunting. And just a few months ago, we still needed like 22 volunteers. And I put that in my prayer journal all the time. God, would you please give us more short-term missionaries? And friends, we got everyone that we needed. Now, is it because I was praying or is it because the Holy Spirit and my spirit were like tuning forks? And I was catching the rhythm and the melody of the Spirit. I think that was it. But friends, I love that. When I pray, coincidences happen. You know, coincidences. And when I don't, they don't. So part of the answer, I think, is why we pray is because God does answer prayers. But the other reason I think you and I should pray is because God doesn't answer the prayers. And uh, I know this sounds funny, uh, but uh, I think it's very important to recognize that we don't pray just to get specific outcomes that we want. Uh, this is why the world doesn't understand Christians. Whenever there's a shooting, right, whenever there's like a shooting at a church, like when that guy killed all those people in South uh, Carolina at the church service, you remember that? This is why the world doesn't understand the church, because whenever there's a tragedy, Christians' first response is what? Our first response is to get on our knees and to pray. And the world says, well, that doesn't do anything. It's too late. You can't change what happened. And friends, I just think you don't even understand the basics of the Christian faith. We don't pray just to change things in our world. We pray because we have a relationship with the Father. 
And maybe we're heartbroken and we want to express that. But we also pray so that we are changed. I think this is why God doesn't answer prayers immediately is because we have work to do. And oftentimes we pray for silly things. We pray for the wrong thing. You know, a few years ago, there was a, a, a businessman in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, he made the mistake of getting involved in a men's Bible study early in the morning. Big mistake because it transformed his life. And you know what this guy, all this guy wanted to do, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to make a million dollars. That's what he wanted. He wanted a million dollars in his bank account. I know that doesn't sound like very much in 2022. You're like, well, that would probably pay for my Fred Meyer bill for next year, right? But just go there. So this guy, all he cared about was making a million dollars. And, you know, he's around all these weird Christians, you know, these woo-woo people talking about, you know, the Holy Spirit and stuff. And, you know, but he kind of knew God was real. He was on one of those first plateaus, right? So he goes to the Bible study and, you know, the pastor is a pastor. You know how pastors are. And finally, the pastor gets it out of him that what he really does most want in life is a million dollars, right? As my whole career, that's, my, that's been my goal for decades, and, you know, the pastor, like a good pastor, you know what he tells them? He says, okay, if that's what you really want, start praying for it. Pray for it for the next 60 days, every day, and I'll pray alongside with you that you get your million dollars. And sure enough, after a few weeks, the man realized what? What am I going to do with the million? What's so great about a million dollars? What's so great about that? And then he was a little ashamed of himself. And he started praying completely differently, that he would use his money to bless his employees and to bless the poor around Atlanta. And so he didn't even make it to the 60 days because the Holy Spirit convicted him that that was just a silly prayer. Now, did he ever get the million dollars? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. That's not the point of the story, y'all. You're focusing on the wrong part of the story. The point is, that the Holy Spirit was like a tuning fork and this guy needed to get in tune with the Spirit. So I think part of the answer is that you and I are supposed to start praying for the things that God wants us to pray for. So how is it that God answers prayer but then doesn't answer prayer? I think the, the easiest example is if, if you were to keep you know, reading the Gospel of Luke, right? If you were to fast forward just a couple of chapters into Luke 22, we see the perfect explanation of this because we see somebody praying for something specific that they want to see happen and then they actually adjust and they get in tune with the Spirit and God's plan. And who is that? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ, God in human form. And on the night when he was betrayed, he went off by himself. And as he prayed, he says, Lord, what? This is Luke 22, verse 42. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's Jesus asking for in that moment? Does Jesus want to die on a cross in front of his mother? Well, yes and no. He says, Father, if there's another way, remove this cup from me. There's the request. But Jesus makes the turn of faith. He's on a different plateau, right? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, there we see the change, the interchange that prayer makes in a person. And because Jesus did that, because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit and ultimately prayed for the Holy Spirit to do what he willed to do in our world, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and threw open the doors of heaven for you, for you. That's the leap of your faith. 
you've got to see that Christ took the punishment for your sin. And even better than that, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. His lungs breathed new life. And he is making all things new. And he did it for you. Yes, he did it for the world, but friend, he also did it for you, right? That's the plateau of faith that all of us have to get to. And because Jesus did that, we have incredible access to the Father. We have incredible access. Uh, you don't pray because you're supposed to. You know, you don't pray, you know, verbatim these words. I mean, look down at Luke 11. I mean, we have this tension, right? Because is it just this rote prayer? Am I just supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer like every time? Well, did you notice in Luke 11, is that the exact prayer that we pray every Sunday? No. It's not even the same Lord's Prayer that's in Matthew. When Matthew writes the Lord's Prayer, it's different. It's a little different than the one in Luke. So what is Jesus teaching us? What are the gospel writers pointing out? Jesus, yes, embraces liturgy and structure, but he's not bound by it. The point is not just verbatim saying things, blah, blah, blah. It's not just saying the words. It's getting in tune with the Spirit. It's about the themes, the great themes, the great themes of the gospel. And when you start to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you start to change from the inside out right? Your spirit and the Holy Spirit start doing like this. And you start to pray for all of these interesting things. You start praying that you would see God as holy, holy, holy. You would have a picture of God that's more and more true of who he is. Uh, Jesus puts it this way, you would hallow, you would revere his name. But amazingly, you'd also see him as father. And you would pray for all people to have their daily bread. Right? And in part, you know what that means? You pray that the poor in the valley would have a solid meal today. And the other things you pray for are that you would forgive the people around you. That you would know God's forgiveness. That's that interchange that prayer happens, right? I mean, how many of the things in the Lord's Prayer are really about changing you and me than they are about changing our world? Or is it possible the world changes as the church changes? more and more into the image of Christ. So what is it that we're supposed to be praying for? Uh, look down at verse uh, 13. I think this is where this passage should, should surprise you. I mean, Jesus is being a little facetious in verses 11 and 12. You know, his point is like, look, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a decent father and your son needs some food, you're not going to give him a serpent or a scorpion, right? <laughs> Again, that's the Bible's version of a joke, okay? That's Jesus being funny, right? Clearly, no one's going to give their child a serpent or a scorpion if they're hungry, and look at verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil, I love that. I love that Jesus slips in the depravity of man. Don't you love that? It's like God loves you. You're his father. Also, you're totally depraved and you're evil and you need to be saved. I love that Jesus puts that in there. Um, like we like, as we like to say, right, the gospel is two simple messages. You're worse than you think, so cheer up, <laughs> but you're also more loved than you think, so cheer up. Verse 13, if you then who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the what? Give the Holy Spirit. And I want you to, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline that because that should surprise you. Because some people would be reading this and says, oh, well, Jesus says, if I ask, he'll give it to me. If I knock, it'll be open to me. So if I ask for a million dollars, will I get a million dollars? Is that what Jesus is leading you to ask for? Jesus says, God will give you whatever you want. So when you ask for the Holy Spirit, for your spirit and the Holy Spirit to be like this, God will always answer that prayer. 
I mean, don't you love that? I mean, that's what that businessman in Atlanta figured out. You know what's more important than a certain amount of money in the bank account? Was knowing how to live life correctly. Knowing how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I mean, um, gosh, uh, about 10 years ago, um, I had this strange situation in my life where I got to know a very famous person. And uh, they're on the TV like all the time. And they had more money than I will ever even sniff, you know? And uh, he had me over for dinner. And uh, it was the biggest house I've ever been in. Uh, probably the biggest house any of us have been in. Uh, it was, he, I mean, it was just immaculate. I mean, it was, it was a monstrosity. I mean, it was like an airplane hanger. Um, and uh, we had this delicious meal. I mean, it was like top stuff. But you know what I knew? I knew that he was walking away from the Lord and he was divorcing his wife at the time. And as immaculate as their living room was, it was about the size of this room that we're in, I remember driving home and looking over at Caroline and our kids, I remember thinking like, I wouldn't trade my house for that guy's home for a million dollars. Give me a wife who loves me and, and little kids that I can raise. I mean, at that time we were in seminary. I was seminary poor, which is a different level of poor for a lot of pastors. We didn't even have a backyard. Our backyard was our neighbor's garage. Um, I can't even tell you where we let Julep sleep. I think it was illegal and it broke the fire code. But right there, it's like, man, what is life really about? Is it really about that bigger house? Really? Is that what it's going to be about? Because let me tell you, your grandkids are going to cringe when they see the property taxes in 30 years on that thing. And they're going to sell it faster than you could imagine. Friends, if you really start praying the Lord's Prayer, and you don't just do it rote because those are the words. You use it as as themes, as rhythms of forgiving others, accepting Christ's forgiveness in asking with audacity for things, it starts to change you because you start asking actually for the Holy Spirit and your spirit to be like this. So um, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to spend some extra minutes this morning uh, in prayer. Uh, If you notice, we have communion ready for this morning. So um, I'm just going to assume something. Hopefully you don't hold this against me. I'm going to assume we all struggle to pray right? Okay. Um, and I would be the first person to admit that I, I don't naturally pray very well. It's had to be a learned behavior. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion in a few minutes, and then we're going to have an extended time of prayer. And what I'm going to invite you to do, if you're, if you're willing, you don't have to, uh, no one has to do this. This is not compulsory. Uh, but when you come forward for communion, I'm going to invite everybody who wants one, and please don't take it if you don't want it, Uh, But everyone who wants one, please take one of these little cards. When you come up for communion, someone will hand this to you if you'd like it. And what it is, it's a 21-day prayer campaign for Alpha. So Alpha, which is hopefully an opportunity for you and I to bring our non-Christian friends to explore Christianity. In 21 days, that launches. If you didn't catch it, we're going to have child care. Uh, over in the barn so people can bring their family and we'll take care of their kids. Middle school youth group is going to be meeting then. Uh, There is no cost to Alpha. Um, There is uh, no pressure for anybody. So we will not pressure people to come to Christ. There's no cost to them. There's no pressure. And friends, there's also no follow-up. There's no follow-up to this. We will not hound people. Um, You know why? You know why it's important not to hound and pressure people into the kingdom of God? I'll tell you why. Because a few months ago, 
I decided to get life insurance. Have you ever tried to get life insurance? I have, first off, disclaimer, I love every life insurance salesperson in the room. I love you. <laughs> Searching for life insurance is a horrible experience because they're like, how soon do you think you're going to die? What are your medical problems? Do you think you're going to have a heart attack right now? What's your blood pressure like? And then you know what they do? They ask you for what? You know what they want? What do they want? They want your email. They want to know your parents' home address. They know all this information about me. And then you just put it out in the internet. And then you know what happens? You get called by insurance people constantly. I have, I'm not kidding. I think I have blocked like 20 phone calls over the last three months from life insurance salespeople. And you know what they all try to sell me on? You know what they try to sell me on? They try to sell me on why their brand of life insurance is better than all the other brands. You think I care whether brand A is better than brand B? You know what I want? I want my family to have money if I die, okay? This is a simple equation. I don't care about why your brand is better than the other brands. But friends, I think the reason I got hounded by life insurance people is because I wanted to communicate this to you. I think a lot of people want to know God I'll take it back. A lot of people want to know God in our community. A lot of people are desperate to know God. And you know what happens? They come to Christians and we try to sell them on why our brand, our denomination is better than all of the others. And so don't go over there. Don't listen to those guys. Don't go to the Presbyterians. They're weird. They may baptize your baby on accident. <laughs> and non-Christians, you know what they think? I don't care. I want to know God. I want to know God. What does the Bible say? What's the message of Jesus all about? So friends, that's what Alpha is. Alpha is an opportunity for us to do a no pressure, no cost, no follow-up presentation of the gospel. And we trust that the Holy Spirit is bringing people to him. We just got to get out of the way and introduce them to Jesus. So friends, if you are a Christian in this room, what I want to invite you to do is take this little prayer card um, it says 11.02. It says Luke 11.2, which is the passage I just preached to you about praying and keeping in step with the Spirit. And what you do with this little card, if you want to, over the next few minutes, is you can write down the names of three friends who are in your life that need to come to faith in Jesus Christ, that need the Holy Spirit in their life. And then, if you are willing, uh, you can set a reminder on your phone. And what I'm asking you to do, if you want to be a part of this, is every morning at 11.02 a.m. You stop what you're doing and you pray for these people. But I know what you're thinking. I don't even like to pray. <laughs> Teach me to pray, Dustin. It doesn't come natural. Well, on the back of this card, you know what it has on there? The Lord's Prayer or a modified version of the Lord's Prayer because it's really about the themes of the Lord's Prayer, not just the verbatim words. So every morning at 11.02 for the next 21 days until Alpha begins for the next three weeks at 11.02 every day, if you would set a reminder on your phone, you will stop what you're doing, you'll pray for these three people, and then on the back you can pray this, based on Luke 11. Heavenly Father, I pray for my city. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done across this nation. Holy Spirit, come fill me today that I might share the love and the good news of Jesus to those around me. Amen. It's a short prayer based on this very passage. And friends, um, is God going to answer these prayers? 
We'll find out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the excitement and the challenge uh, to grow to that next plateau of faith. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with a sense of your love for each one of us. Uh, Lord, that if we haven't taken that step, that we would. That we would see on the cross your love displayed. And Lord, as we think about the empty tomb, Lord, that it would give us hope even for today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be impressing on our hearts and minds our friends and family who need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we prepare to take communion, Lord, we pray that we would be empowered this week by your Spirit to be your hands and feet in our community and in our families and around this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, friends, as I said earlier, this is a special day. We're going to take communion. Uh, If you don't know how we take communion at our church, There are four stations up front, so this section will go to a station over here, and there'll be one for y'all, this group, and that group. Uh, We uh, like to remind people that this is not a Presbyterian table. It is the the Lord's table, so it is for all people who look to Jesus for their salvation. Uh, If you don't know where you stand with Jesus, if you haven't professed his name, we would encourage you to pause and not take from this meal. Instead, I'd actually invite you to spend these next few moments praying and asking Jesus and pray and say, Jesus, if you are real, would you show me? Uh, Friends, uh, let's pray now as we set aside these elements for communion. Uh, Father, we know uh, that you are present here by your spirit. Uh, Lord, for those of us who have been called by your name, Lord, we thank you for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that this meal would equip us and strengthen us to live as your hands and feet to our community. And Lord, we know that these things remain as they are, a simple piece of bread and a cup. But Lord, we also know that your spirit is at work in and through them. So Lord, would you set these things aside for that holy purpose? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread And he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body for you. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And friends, he is returning. Would the leaders who have agreed to pass out the elements please come forward? If you are not able to come up out of your seat, friends, remember we have a floater. Just raise your hand and someone will come bring you the elements.